all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy mid-October to you. Time is flying by as usual. My family and I just got back from a nice little fall break together. The last few weekends, I have seen Proverbs 16.9 absolutely come alive, where it says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We had an event canceled that we were supposed to be at on October 2nd, but just a few days later, my buddy Chris Tomlin asked me if I could sing with him here at home at the Nashville Symphony. It was beautiful, and the best part was that it was all to benefit the Nashville Rescue Mission, which is a ministry doing truly amazing work here in town, just meeting needs of people and helping people get back on their feet again through equipping them. So my heart was just so full to get to be a part of it. It was a day spent at home, after all, with good friends, good fellowship. And I tell you what, there's nothing quite like singing Our God and Good, Good Father with the Nashville Symphony. I'm really hoping that we all get to do that in heaven somehow. Maybe, I don't know, we each get to take turns conducting even. I just think that would be so amazing. And then because of Hurricane Matthew, we were not able to gather this past weekend in South Carolina with an organization that is so near and dear to our hearts. And since we didn't get together, I'd love to just tell you about it for a second. And I promise this isn't a paid ad. This is something that I actually really care about. The event that we were supposed to be a part of was called Illuminations. And it's several ministries and organizations that all center around Bible translation. First of all, the people that attend these gatherings are the happiest people that you'll ever meet because they are the most generous people that you'll ever meet. Everyone there is there for one purpose, to see that every unreached people group in the world has the Word of God in their heart language. Did you know that there are actually pockets of people, even in the U.S., that have a dialect that is so rare and so their own that they need the scriptures translated into their heart language in order to understand the gospel, not to mention the almost billion people that they estimate in remote parts of the world who are still Bibleless. It's really quite astonishing when you start learning about it. I had never really heard of the term Bible poverty until just a few years ago when we led worship at an event for the Seed Company. This is extremely important work that's happening every day that we should all know about and be aware of. You can visit theseedcompany.com and find out all kinds of ways that you can give or just get involved. You can actually sponsor, as a family, one verse a month through their One Verse program, or you can find an unreached people group on their site, maybe in an area of the world that you have a heart for, and you can give towards their project of receiving the scriptures in their heart language. It's so beautiful. One of the sweetest videos that I've ever seen is when the Word of God was being delivered into one of these remote places where they had never had the scriptures. It was like a parade. There was singing, clapping, dancing, and weeping, all because they were finally getting their hands on the truth of God's Word in their heart language. Even last night, I was arranging some books on some shelves that we installed in our front living room, and I bet I counted five Bibles that are just extras that we have laying around. We have a wealth of truth and information at our fingertips at all times. It's really staggering to think about. As I mentioned, they say there are still roughly over a billion people who are Bibleless. Even if you just wanted to see how, as a family, you could pray for an unreached people group, you can get absolutely lost on their website just looking into a whole world you maybe didn't even know anything about. 
We were so sad not to be able to gather together this past weekend, but it did make a way for us to have some family time with my brother and his family in Atlanta. It was much needed, actually. Just another way that we trust on a much bigger level that God knows what we need. In uncertain times, I've learned to cling to that truth more and more, that I have a Father that knows what I need. I may not always understand why He allows or what He allows or why He does what He does, but I do know that He knows what we need at all times. Looking at the seed company's website just reminds me of how important it is to know what you want to be about as a family. I don't know if you're like us, but sometimes we can have all the good intentions in the world. In our minds and in our hearts, we give all the time, only to realize that, oh, we didn't actually follow through yet with what was in our hearts to do. It's awesome to have a heart for something, but it's better to actually set things in our hearts into motion. And one of the things that I want to set into motion more, as I said last week with the She Reads Truth Girls, I want to be better about sharing the scriptures on a deeper level with my kids so that they will know God's word and hide it in their hearts so that at just the right moment, they will know how to answer anyone about the hope that's in them. This is actually easiest to put in motion when your kids are little. So if you have little ones, start having them learn scripture now. Chances are they won't forget it when they get older. Again, we have a wealth of truth available to us at our fingertips, as we learned last week. It's literally available to us on our phones. We can read truth while we're sitting in the doctor's office or at the line at the grocery store. I want to wake up to this treasure that we have right in front of us, and I want my kids to be awake to that too. So it's just me today bringing some bits of the glorious into your day, as I'm sure if I could actually hear from each of you somehow today, you'd have some bits of glorious for me as well. My prayer is that we could each be reminded of the faithfulness of God in big and small ways today. Maybe it's a full circle moment for you somehow, or you've been struck by His detail and how sometimes He really will go to great lengths to show you that He's with you and that He loves you. I also know that He will go to great lengths to woo us back to himself. The thing about drifting is it happens gradually, just an inch there and there and here and there, and all of a sudden, you can find yourself far from home. When my mom was a teenager, she loves to tell the story about how she was at the lake with some of her friends, and they were all on rafts just hanging out, talking and laughing, and they had no idea that they were drifting into an area forbidden for swimmers, and there were boats. They were literally miles from where they were supposed to be, and they had to be rescued the whole nine yards. We don't always know we're drifting. Hebrews 2 says that we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. The Lord, in the sweetest way over the last year and a half, has rescued me, pulled my little drifting raft in from a place that He forbids His children to be, a place of unbelief. I know you've heard me share a lot around our move back to Tennessee, but I've been realizing more and more that it's actually so symbolic for me in my own personal journey with the Lord. I think some of you know what I'm talking about, and you have those places or people or seasons that you know were much more than just about people, places, or circumstances, but there's sort of these Ebenezer's or stake-in-the-ground moments or markers of what God is doing in you and where He's leading you. If you're a child of God, I do believe there's only so much drifting that He will let us do before He starts calling to our hearts. The thing is, we do have blind spots. 
We are sometimes unaware of Him calling to our hearts. So I think the prayer is, God, keep me awake and aware. And of course, not drifting. Because I can only look back a few years and recall a time where I didn't feel like I was fully awake and aware and I was drifting. So that tells me that it could happen again. For me, the two main things that caused me to drift, I would say, are unbelief and idolatry, believe it or not. Little by little, I stopped believing that who He is is enough. And when we don't believe He's enough, we put things before Him. It might be finances or relationships, our job, our path for education that will lead to financial security of some sort, at least we think. It could be a brand that we want stamped on us to show that we're a part of something. Remember when I shared John Piper's address to the graduating class of Bethlehem College and Seminary when he said, When a sense of insecurity in your abilities, in your job, in your ministry, in your theology tempts you to attach yourself to someone stronger, someone more competent, more esteemed, more gifted, more secure, don't do it. You don't need to do it because all things are yours. He went on to say, When the craving for secondhand significance and worth and power and authority tempts you to grasp for it vicariously by boasting in men, don't do it. You don't need to do it because all things are yours. Well, that's exactly what I did, all the while telling myself and everyone around me that my identity was fully in Christ. We can even get good at convincing ourselves that we're in the right place. Nathan and I first moved to Nashville in 1999, and this was before we had kids, and we had just begun our watermark journey and had just signed with Rockettown Records. It was the most free I remember being as an artist and a songwriter in a really long time. We creatively took huge leaps and chances and just didn't know to care about what people thought. I think it's what caused our music at the time to actually hit a nerve with people because it was truly, and I can say this, authentic. Over time, though, we doubt, don't we? Over time, we begin to look to that secondhand significance to tell us that we're still okay, that what we have to offer is still valuable, and we begin to seek validation in other things and other people besides our Creator. And what I've found over the years is that God will actually withhold that very validation that we're seeking from others. He makes it hard for us to find it in others. I remember being on my knees, and I finally just broke over it after wanting validation from this one person. And not only was it not happening, it was like I was beginning to feel the opposite from that person, like that person was actually displeased with me altogether. And the Lord just gently spoke to my heart and said, I'm right here. Only I can put my thumbprint on you and give you the approval that you need. I made you. The validation you seek is right here, and I'm going to continue to make that relationship painful for you if you don't start running towards me for everything that you need today. We lived in Tennessee, what we call the first round, from 1999 until 2008. In that time, all three children were born here. We had made five records under the name Watermark at that time, had traveled our guts out, have been loving ministry and making memories, but bring all of that down to what was going on in my heart and in my personal journey with Jesus. Take away all the stages and the radio hits, the buses, the microphones, and peel it all back to me just driving around by myself on these back roads of Franklin, Tennessee with the beautiful foothills as the backdrop. My heart was drifting from the truth. It was subtle, though. Did I believe God was God, and did I desire to bring Him glory? Absolutely. 100%. 
What I was beginning not to do was live from my true self, out of my belovedness of who God fully made me to be, fully alive to Him, and creatively living from that place of freedom that I was made to know God and enjoy Him forever. When we first felt the desire to move to Atlanta, in the moment, I would have told you hands down, we weren't running from anything in Tennessee. We loved our friends and our church very much and honestly loved the Nashville area so much. But what I know now, there was a deeper narrative that God was writing on my heart. On one hand, we couldn't shake the desire that God had put on our hearts to go help plant a church in Georgia. And on the other hand, I didn't even realize it had begun But I had very much felt this need to align and identify myself with people doing big and great kingdom work because ultimately I felt too small on my own. In fact, I had begun to doubt that what I brought to the table was good enough on my own. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about identity, how sometimes we're just more comfortable hiding behind that someone or something that we've chosen. As long as we have this bigger brand stamp of approval, we'll feel worthy or we'll feel important or we'll feel finally like we have the validation to do what's in our hearts to do. During the drifting, um, God would send me these little lifelines. I may have told you this story before, but one time when I was leading worship literally in front of tens of thousands of people, I'd close my eyes only to be met with a vision of me as a seven-year-old leading the people in worship. And you have to understand that me as a seven-year-old was me standing there with these huge 80s glasses on and a Mary Lou Retton haircut. I've often laughed out loud about if we had Instagram in the 80s, like what would my mom's feed have looked like? All that to say, I was definitely your average country girl from Oklahoma at seven. But as I stood there with my eyes shut tight and asked the Lord, why am I seeing myself as a seven-year-old leading this song? He just began to speak to my heart and say, because this is where I want you to lead the people from, just being my daughter This is the qualification that you stand in right now, not because you earned it, not because you got better at it, not because you became a professional at it. No, just because you're mine and you gave your heart to me when you were seven and you trusted me with it. And this is how I want you to live, fully free and just being my daughter. And that is enough. I hope that speaks to many of you right now. Yes, we do get better at things, and yes, we do have to sometimes be qualified to do certain things, but the place we do all of this from is just being the beloved of God. Some of you might just need to hear that, that being attached to God is enough for you today to step out and do what He's calling you to do. I do know that if you step out in belief, He'll be your brand. He'll be your support system and your team, and He will hem you in with everything you need to accomplish what He's put in you. As many of you know, sometimes God will take us on a journey away from home and everything comfortable and familiar. He opens up our hearts to new cities and new people, and sometimes He asks us to leave the very place we love the most, all to take our heart on the most important journey of all, leading us ultimately back to Him. I'm so fascinated by now about how God works and how He uses our stories and our desires and even our own brokenness. For me, like I said, my unbelief and my idolatry to bring more breakthrough in our hearts in order to live from our true selves. This is the beauty of the gospel today for us, that we don't have to pretend that we don't struggle. We get to proclaim Jesus over our lives, the one who ultimately struggled on our behalf, 
who took our place to the point of death, and He rose again. We get to claim that work and His promise and His life over us today. There are no regrets, I can honestly say that. If I hadn't gone on the journey, I never would have experienced all the things that I needed to. We didn't know when we moved to Atlanta that it was only going to be a seven-year journey. We moved there thinking it was for the long haul. I guess what we have learned is that you can never say never. Desires can change. Circumstances can change. You never know where life or God is going to take you. There was tremendous purpose in that season, I will say. Some of the friends that we made there will be lifelong. There was a lot of life and goodness in all of it. Ultimately, though, to my biggest surprise, I mean, I never imagined in a million years that God would begin to shift our desires back to Tennessee. Looking back, even before my desires shifted, I remember talking to my dad on the phone, and I was telling him that I had no idea what was going on with me, but... I just had this sense that I felt like I was a mother bird looking for a place to build a new nest. It puzzled me at first. I mean, I had a nest, and a really pretty one, in Alpharetta, Georgia, one that I had spent a lot of time working on to make a home, a home that we had invested in. We redid our kitchen. We had some friends who helped us get it featured in Better Homes and Gardens. And even my favorite magazine, Country Living, had taken pictures and used it for a backdrop for one of their issues. We just had countless beautiful gatherings in that home, gatherings that shaped us as a family. Seven years worth of birthdays and anniversaries. Noah's 13th Rite of Passage party that I'll have to tell you about sometime. We welcomed new friends into the community and said goodbye to friends who were moving on. It was a wonderful nest, and I'll never forget it. It's just hard to explain, and I will say it took a while for Nathan and I to get on the same page about it. He brought it up to me first about moving back to Tennessee, and I think I kind of looked at him like he was crazy. Then I'd mention it to him a few months or weeks later, and he'd say, no, it's not time yet. Months later, I visited Nashville for some songwriting sessions and did some driving around and retracing my steps, which I think is always a really good idea. It was summer. I drove out to our old house where we lived with the kids who were little bitty then. This was pretty rare for me to do because I hadn't driven back by that house in years, mainly just because it was too painful. All three children were babies in that house. It was the place where God taught me how to be still, to rest, to live from the bullseye. These were those very country roads I now found myself driving down where I had worked out some of my nearest and dearest songs of worship to God. It was the place, for whatever reason, had always felt most me. It felt too extravagant, I think, to think of moving back. After all, I thought to myself, life isn't about my desires or my wants or my plans. And some of that's true. But what I failed to leave room for was that He does love us. He does put desires in us. He does call to our hearts when we drift. He does confront our idolatry. He does come after our hearts. As I navigated those all-too-familiar roads, I'll never forget the fireflies, the way they danced inside the lush bushes and trees. There's nothing like summer in Tennessee. And when I drove up to the old house, I truly wasn't ready for the sobs. It felt like getting punched in the gut. Somehow, I thought that maybe if I got out and went around to the backyard, that I'd find the seven-year-old Noah, the five-year-old Ellie, and the eight-month-old Annie Rose playing on the swing set. I realized then and there 
that I had never fully grieved the leaving, the passing of time, the beginning and ending of seasons. When we pulled out of that driveway for Atlanta, years before that, I remember just kind of sucking it up and pulling myself up by my bootstraps in front of the kids. I did know that planning a church was a noble cause to be moving our family east, and it really was. But I realized for the first time in many years that I had left a part of my heart in this place and that there was possibly unfinished work here. As I drove away and down the road, I turned on some music from my phone. A song that wasn't familiar to me came up on my playlist. It was beautiful, and it captured the fireflies perfectly as I sort of just aimlessly drove back towards the vacation rental I had secured for the night. As the singer began to sing, I tuned in to the words. He sang, I've tried to live a million places outside of Tennessee. I've even tried a million faces on that were different from me. All the miles that I had wasted, I was running from the truth. All the while, I never saw the signs that were bringing me back to you. The moment I felt you there, there was a stillness in the air. And the more that I tried to run, the closer you seemed to come. You're the ghost that knows my name. Impossible to escape. And now I'm turning back to you. Tears rolled down my face as I realized this wasn't just about returning to this soil The Holy Ghost who knows my name, whose impossible to escape, was pulling in my raft close to himself, asking me the question, am I enough for you? Do you trust me? Me alone. When I got home, I was so full of expectation to tell Nathan about my experience. I told him about the visit to the old house and the fireflies and the song, and some of you ladies know what's coming. He listened. I mean, he didn't shrug it off per se, but he was a little bit guarded about it. Now, probably 10 years ago in our marriage, I would have been really upset by that. But I know Nathan well enough now to know that he just needs to hear it for himself and experience it for himself. There's no convincing him on any kind of huge decision. In fact, the more I yak about it, the worse off my case will become. So instead, I chose the path of quiet trust. I told the Lord, Lord, if that was really you, speaking to me. I know that you will speak to Nathan just the same when the time is right. And it wasn't the next week or the next week after that, or even the month after that. In fact, fast forward several months until one afternoon, he looked at me and tears welled up in his eyes and he said, it's time. And I looked back at him and said, okay. So coming home to this soil is beautiful, of course, and I'm so happy about being in Tennessee. But even more than that, I'm overjoyed to be in a place of literally having to trust the Lord for everything again. Now, it hasn't been easy, but it's where I need to be. I've taken more notice to the invitation to truly walk with Him, and it makes me want to get better at it every day. That's the thing. There's always an invitation to stop what I'm doing and just go take a walk with Him in the woods of Keeper's Branch. But according to my neighbor, I do need to stay on the path because of some recent copperhead sightings, but I'll be sure to do that. But his nearness in this season really means everything to me. His name alone standing in as my brand, his provision alone keeping me afloat. He doesn't need social media or people of influence in his life. He's God. He doesn't need anything. But the beauty is that James 1.18 says that we are the first fruit of all his creation, the choice fruit, the prized possession. He enjoys our nearness, and He desires fellowship with us, and He will go to great lengths 
to pull us close. Maybe just ask Him today, at least to make you aware of the invitation to walk with Him today. In the littlest things, maybe He'll show you something that you've never seen before. The singer that serenaded me that day in the car on the back roads of Franklin was Ben Bannister. He's actually the brother of Ellie Holcomb. I texted Ellie and asked if she could get permission from Ben for me to play this song for you today. The song is called Bringing Me Back to You. I hope you'll find yourself quieted by your father's love as you hear it, that you'll even maybe open the drawbridge of your heart and surrender some places that maybe you've just kept closed off. Or maybe you'll find yourself pulled into shore from the slightest bit of drifting that you didn't even know was happening, pulled back in close to your father's side. I tried to live a million places outside of Tennessee. Back to 
So gorgeous. I hope you got caught up for a bit today into the glorious and that you're just reminded of what you're living for after all, of what you want to be about. Maybe God tied up some loose ends for you or He just clarified your mission. Maybe He just reminded you that He loves you and He wants you near Him. You can find Ben Bannister's music on iTunes. That song called Bringing Me Back to You is available on his album called This Letter. And you can also find out more about Ben at benbannister.com. As you may have seen, we released the cover art for my new Christmas record called The Thrill of Hope that releases November 4th. And I can't wait to share it with you. The cover was designed by the lovely Lindsay Pruitt. Listen next week to hear the story behind why there's an amaryllis on the cover. Because those of you who know me know that there's always a story behind everything. So there's so much detail and intentionality put into this record and these songs, and I'm just so excited to share it with you. So stay tuned for that. I pray that the rest of your day is absolutely glorious, and I'll talk to you soon.